Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast, powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Surge Strength Podcast. Hope you're doing well today. I am excited to talk to today's guest, but before I get to that, we are one week closer to the free webinar, The Process of Dryland Training, where I'm going to show you live how to write a dryland workout in less than 10 minutes, and I need your examples. That's why I need for you to be there live. I appreciate all of you that have signed up in the last week or so. We're getting a ton more people reserve their spot. Remember, don't just wait for the replay. I want you to be there live because you're going to get much more out of it. So go to the process of dryland.training if you already have done so and register, mark it on your calendar, be there live. You're going to get so much more out of it. And I need your examples to make sure I'm able to teach you how to write a dryland workout in less than 10 minutes. So that's the process of dryland.training. And yes, we are one week closer to open enrollment for you to become Surge Strength Dryland Certified, the only dryland certification out there and really the only resource that is swimming specific for strength training. How do we get swimmers stronger and faster and actually have it show up in the results in the water? So go to surgestrength.com slash certification to learn more about it. You can even get on the waiting list to make sure you are one of the first people notified when we do open doors so you don't miss out because it's only going to be for a limited time. But on today's episode in Dryland Talk, I'm going to be talking to Jim Vanatta. And you're hearing just a portion of our conversation, but Jim has become Surge Strength Dryland certified. And he's been following our stuff for many years as well. So it's not just like he discovered us in the last year during the pandemic. Jim's been following along for a while now, but he really enjoyed the curriculum that we were able to put together in the Surge Strength Dryland certification. And he said it gave him the confidence to know what he's doing right and not just winging it. And I remember, believe it or not, I would wing dryland workouts when I was working with hundreds of age groupers on a daily basis. And I didn't have a system, a process yet to keep up with programming and making sure I was able to pay attention during the session and coach the kids up and have them progress year after year. And now we finally have been able to put that together. And that's what basically is the Surge Strength Drown Certification. And Jim talks about a real interesting point that I don't think is discussed enough. And he talks about with the dryland equipment and dryland education, you can't blame coaches when they're not doing things well or they're doing the wrong things in dryland when you don't invest in them. And that means either on the education front with something like becoming SSDC or in the equipment and in the curriculum for the SSDC, we even show you, if you don't have a big budget, that's okay. Here's the bare minimum things. And for just a few hundred dollars, you can get the equipment that you need for your team and or get your coaches SSDC so that they know what to do, you know what equipment to go get, and then you're gonna be able to see the results not only on land with your athletes, but in the water. And your swimmers are gonna see it and that gets even more buy-in. So I love the practicality that Jim 
works through it in terms of, hey, if you want better results, you got to invest at least a little. And this is pennies compared to what you could bring back. If I could tell you, you pay me $500 and I will virtually guarantee your swimmers are not going to have injuries because you're going to be able to implement a proper dryland program that's going to assess them, that's going to give them solutions for each of their individual issues, whether it be mobility, strength, lack of movement somewhere, and then walk you step by step through a process of putting a program together, you're going to have those results. You're not going to have injuries. You're going to have stronger, faster athletes. And in the water, they're going to be able to feel the difference. And you're going to see the results and you're going to be happy about it. So I love this conversation with Jim. Let's go ahead and jump on in with him. Dryland Talk. What has been something that you've been working on in the past year at kind of an added toolbox for your dryland toolkit specifically? Uh, I think I, I I really paid attention in the surge strength about the value of of the um, the ability to put resistance and um, additional weight on the body and the, mm. the importance of that. The other one I think I mentioned this in another forum on one of the coaching mentorships with Paul. Um, you know, two, two, so now two summers ago, because last summer everything was canceled. I coached yeah. with the Indiana, yeah, the Indiana swim camp and um, Mike Westfall, the um, the head assistant there at the time, or the yeah. so head associate head coach uh, who's moved on now. But uh, Mike, Mike's commentary was, you know, once you get the technique down and you get the kids able to, to move well, add, add resistance and, and, and weight. So he was adding weight in the pool and, uh, and quite a bit. Uh, and that's one of the hallmarks of their program, I think. So, and I know other elite programs are doing that. So, so that was the evolution for me is, Hey, find times during your practice mm. uh, to add resistance. And then in dry land, as I read more about surge, I'm like, Hey, you have to add, you have to add something to the component of, uh, to get them stronger. So, so accepting that your team had to buy some, some equipment, kettlebells, um, med balls, those things, med balls, I think more teams have those than others. Um, for the core work, but ha- having something that can allow your kids to progress. And, you know, you don't need to get a barbell and, and, and plates and, and all these, and Olympic platform and those things get, get what we did is we bought a box that so we bought a big, uh, you know, equivalent of a big tough box, um, mm-hmm. you know, five, you know, four feet long and yeah, three yeah. feet long, two feet deep. We'd throw heavy med balls and kettlebells and those things. And I'd load them up in the back of my forearm. And I'd come to practice, I'd go grab a couple of kids. They'd help me carry them in. And we'd use those, those kettlebells for the strength component that, you know, again, you can say kettlebells are right or kettlebells are wrong, but they were what we could easily transport and use. And they, it's they most could important be multi- things sometimes, <laughs> right. They were multifunctional because we could do some of the kettlebell specific work with them, but you could also just use them as resistance for weights. So I think that's the thing I'm really learning more about is how to incorporate um, those tools with younger athletes. Cause I think, you know, as I said, I've got some background in exercise science. I've, I've, I've done some assistant coaching and, and it's sort of a low level volunteer and, and grad assistant at the college level. And I know what true strength training focused strength training does. Mm-hmm. And I was always afraid to apply it to little kids. Mm. And when I say little kids, I mean, you know, not, not, not 10 and unders we're talking, you know, a, a 10, 10 year old here and there, but mainly like the 11, 11 and over sort of the yeah. top half of your age group program. And then up to our high school kids. And as I said, we were a smaller team when we started. So those 11 to 15 year olds were training together for dry land a lot of times. So I had to build programming that, 
that could work for many, but then our 15 year olds had never done any of that. So yeah, it was really developmental for them too. So adding that is what's been sort of the new thing for me in the last 18 months to two years, I'd say. Um, and really with surge strength, becoming more comfortable doing that for an even younger population and doing it um, safely and doing it well. I think the other one that, um, and I don't know if it's in your surge strength or something else, but, but one of the comments you made one time is, well, it isn't surge. When, when is a kid ready? When is an athlete ready oh, yeah. to train with strength mm-hmm. training? Mm-hmm. It's when, when, um, when they're excited about it and they want to do it Yeah. and when they can do it safely. And so yeah. if you look at those, those are really great because you're right. That is a true thing of, of, uh, I believe it. And, you know, if the kids are not ready for it, you'll know the group, the group will tell you that you'll right. see it in their behavior <laughs> and in their ability to listen to instructions. And then you have to make an assessment. If they're not ready as a group to do it safely, then, then, you know, you don't try it. If there's a few of them that are, and you have a, a way for them to get into a group that is, that, then maybe you tailor that. Um, and then the other one is, do they want to do it? And this goes to, so, so as you know, I'm, I'm out of coaching a little bit. I'm or out of the water side of coaching, but it, that happened while I was taking surge strength certification. Mm. I, we made a move for the military. I need to take a break from coach and I'll get back into it probably next year. Uh, but my daughter started bugging me about dry land. She's like, Hey, Hey dad, the, um, the team we're with and the really great team charter aquatics here in Albuquerque, one of the best teams uh, here and in, in, in really in the country. Uh, silver medal because of COVID. I don't know what they did before. I, I'm right. I'm just a dad right now. Yeah. Uh, and but, who knows but, in this last year with clubs, like right. <laughs> just so whatever you could do, they're doing everything right in the water, but there's right. no time right now um, mm-hmm. for anything outside the water um, because of the restrictions. So right. she started bugging me to do more of that because she felt like it helped her in our last. So, so we added in some dry land component at the house. Um, really applying the strength side of what I hadn't been doing before too much with kids her age. Um, and she's starting high school this year. And so um, that sort of um, change for me was that the, the athlete was asking, she was pushing, mm-hmm. she was asking to be part of that. And, you know, I, it's, it's always a challenge coaching your own child. And I tried not to do it. I told you I coached the eight, nine year olds because I wanted to help the team. She was above that level. About a year later, the coach was like, hey, I really need you to move up and help coach this group. And I'm like, I, okay, but I got to see how it goes coaching my own child. And, right. and, I, and, and it went great. She's very receptive and, and we separate the two and, and do they don't talk much about swimming outside the pool and, and, and support her like a dad um, right. at every other time, except when you're talking about a specific on deck thing. Um, but yeah. one point in all of that is she's the one asking. And I think Mm-hmm. As a coach, I'll remember that when I'm working with um, club athletes again is, you know, make sure you're, you're kind of querying whether or not the, the athlete's interested and then finding a way to, to determine how you could do it if, if your team's not already doing it and then check the safety and then check the, um, the ability to follow instructions. If I was coaching sort of that, that younger middle age group, kind of that, that 11 to 14 year old crowd before high school, I would really pay attention to are they ready for it? from a following instruction standpoint, that was, that was one of the most helpful things in this program is, Oh, it sort of took this weight off my burden off my back to say, when do I decide to do this? Am I right or wrong? Am I this bad parent? Am I this bad coach? It's nope. Assess those two things. Is the athlete ready from a instruction standpoint? Is it safe? And then do they want to do it? If you do those, man, that's, that gives you this green light to, all right, now go figure out what you can do with the program. So, 
Yeah. And, and Jim, that's why I don't blame coaches when they don't do dryland with the younger kids. Cause I think it comes out of a place of, they know they could mess up a lot easier on land and they don't want the kids to get hurt. And so therefore right. it's almost like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm just going to stay completely clear, which I would almost rather you do that right. than try to do something that's going to end up being dangerous or hurt some swimmer, you know, just take your hands off it. But like you said, once you then kind of learn the parameters to work around, it kind of releases you of that feeling of, I'm going to, I'm going to screw this up. Like I'm going to get somebody injured, but if right. you know, okay, this is the progressions I'm going to follow. Here's the assessments. Here's what I need to look for technique wise. And here's what's appropriate. And then, like you said, the guidelines of, are the kids excited about it? Are they going to take the instruction? If you're good with those boxes, then proceed with caution, you know? Right. And I think for coaches, either working with athletes in or out of the water, like you were alluding to, if you can get it to the where the, the athletes wanting it. And as a coach, you're almost more holding them back than pushing them forward, right? Like just right. making sure we're going at the steady pace. That's a really great spot to be in. Not saying it's going to be all the time, the whole season, but I always tried to think about that when I was coaching of, are my athletes asking me for more, more right. often than I'm pushing them to get more out of. And, right. and the goal is for them to be driving it and you as the coach to make sure we're going in the right direction and, and the parameters. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a hard um, lesson for coaches to learn and be comfortable with. I think, um, you know, and then, then you look at other, others around you and you try to compare and the parents, you know, especially in club swimming, they compare. Mm -hmm. And so, so, you know, we, our team in El Paso swims in the brand new, I think it's three years old natatorium down there with, you know, big seating and, and those things. And so what, what do teams do when they have time for dry land? <laughs> They do some calisthenics and they run those stairs. Yep. They run the stairs up and down in the natatorium. <laughs> and, and again, you know, another story going to my caution and how I did dry land was my son swam until he was 14 and, and what, or 13, what made him stop? You know, probably a combination of things, but one of the major contributing factors was swam with a great club in the Seattle area, um, you know, King Aquatics before all the drama. Um, mm -hmm. um Great coaches there, but the dry land there for that age group until he was, you know, when he was nine, 10, 11 was some calisthenics and run the stairs a whole bunch. He ended up with a really bad ankle injury. He mm -hmm. had to have an Achilles surgery as an 11 year old. Oh my God. We, we don't know if it's connected to that. Right. But, right. But we certainly didn't don't think help. that helped. It didn't help. Right. And so then you're an 11 year old with an ankle surgery or an Achilles extension, you know, problem because of injuries to your Achilles and. And then you're, then you're in and out of practice and you, we moved to a new city. We moved from Seattle and Canada down to, um, down to El Paso and, and you join a team and you're hurt and the coaches are pushing you and pushing you and pushing you. And like, man, this is not very fun. I, right. I, I put in all this time every day and I don't have fun because I'm hurt. Mm -hmm. They don't understand. And instead of what we were just talking about, which is, you know, I'll push you as much as you want, but I'm not going to pressure you. I'm not going to pressure you to do more than you're ready for, especially in those prior to high school. It's, Hey, let the, let the kids eagerly ask you for it. And I think you'll have right. more in, in your dry land program. And I think that applies to all of your, all your programming. Yeah. I think running is the biggest, like proceed with caution thing, because you yeah. have to think if the kids are spending most of their time in a water where gravity isn't as strong on right. their, on their muscular structure as it is on land, and now you're then multiplying the impact from everything. And that reminds me, Jim, you know, working with triathletes it, when we were doing strength training with them, I would kind of help them get that idea that, yeah, they're going to go out and run half a marathon today, you know, for their training. 
but we're in the gym and they're struggling to balance on one leg. And I said, what do you think is going to happen at some point? If, if you're, yeah. if you're not even able to balance and touch your toe five times for me on one leg, yeah, you can go run 13 miles, but at some point that's going to catch up to you, yeah, whether it's sure. going to be, you know, some kind of micro tear or something else. And, and I think coaches, if they say, all right, I'm not going to go with dryland. Let's just default to running. That's almost the worst decision to make yeah. in terms of if you, if you well, don't have the mus- musculature and support to help with that, it, it's going to get bad really quick. Well, and, and then what's your stated goal, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, yep. so I, I don't think the goals that I had stated early on were wrong injury prevention, mm-hmm. um, core development and, and some explosiveness. I learned a lot about how to get there as I, as I studied and deliberately sought out experts like you and others. Um, but, but a lot of coaches will default to, to satisfy the parents, make mm-hmm. the kids tired. Yeah. Uh, we have time for dry land. I don't know much else of what to do. I don't have any equipment. So let's run some wind sprints. Let's, let's run some laps. Let's do some push-ups and sit-ups and some air squats in between. Mm-hmm. And you know, wh- what are you really, what are you doing different there than you, that you couldn't do in the pool with some fast swimming and some, some getting them breathing hard, which is now, um, you know, sport specific where you're getting the catch, you're getting the movements, you're getting the different things you need. If you're doing that in the pool, whereas in the outside the pool, you're just training the lungs and the heart more. Well, you've been training that for, you know, if you're now moving into high school, you're probably training that for an hour and a half to two right. hours a day, every day, six days a week. Uh, you know, what, why would I add 45 minutes of running in? You know, like it doesn't, that was, that was, a, that was part of the conversation I had with the head coach was he was, he coached, uh, um, one of the um, Catholic girls schools in town. So he didn't do any of our morning work. He coached the mm. high school team during that time. So he had one of the other assistant coaches work in the mornings um, at different times. And so that younger coach, again, we gave him no skills. We gave him no tools. He just had the kids running at the park, uh, playing ultimate Frisbee. Those, and the kids had fun. They liked it, but was it doing anything? We had a few injuries and things where kids would fall. And I was like, Hey, are we, What's the point in this? Mm-hmm. And that goes, you know, to another state kind of comment. I don't know if you caught it. There is, we didn't prepare that coach, and so, right. you know, I was the vice president of the club and the um, and assistant assistant coach, and in a lot of ways consulted all head coaching decisions. Um, and I said to the board, I said, "Hey, we have to put some money and time into into getting the equipment and educating our coaches." Now we never were able to get this permission to purchase certification for coaches, but had I been there this next year, I would have been pushing to get them certified in surge strength because yeah. um, you, you can't blame your coaches when they're doing the wrong things in dry land or the wrong things in the water when you don't want to invest in your coaches. Right. And a lot of times teams are like, well, I don't want to invest in an assistant coach who's this young college age or, or just after college because I don't know if they'll stick around very long. And, and, you know, I mean, the $500 to certify them in something or the 50 bucks to certify them in something for one year of coaching you know, if you do that every year, you've spent $500 a year to make sure that your kids don't get hurt and your yeah. staff is a higher quality. And the other thing I found is as you invest in your coaches, they stick around longer because mm-hmm. um, they see that you're investing in them. And that goes to coaches compensation and what do you do during COVID and how do you take care of coaches? All those things. You can retain better coaches for longer if you invest in them and they give back to your program. So that was, that was another thing in this dry land journey that I learned is, Hey, we have to invest in ourselves and then we have to invest in our coaches at the assistant level. If we really want our program to get better. And that goes to, to Jim coaches come to me and say, all right, I want to improve my dryland program, 
But then when we get to talking about equipment budget, they're like, oh, no, 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 we, we really don't have any budget. So you're telling me, you know, the, you can't ask the kids to maybe chip in a little bit more instead of buying the $500 fast skin or, or no, whatever no. it is this year, right? Yeah. That if each kid, you know, pitches in $50, now you can get some pretty decent equipment. Yeah. But I think it, it goes back to Jim too, what we've talked about before is the coaches don't know sometimes. And so right. they, don't they don't know, know what to get, right? Yeah, they don't even know what to recommend to the board. Yeah. But where, where do I start with this right. equipment? I, I'm sure in their mind, they're thinking, well, if I don't have anything more than 10K, I shouldn't even worry about it. You know, like right. I'm going to need a full gym outfit. Yeah, I mean, I think for I think for 100 to 200 bucks, you can get everything yeah. you need for one athlete. And for 500, you can probably get everything you need for a club team if you're rotating Absolutely. the kids through. Uh, at least for the starting point of the program. And, and, and if you're starting for the first time on strength training, you don't need much because they can't lift a lot. So, right. so you <laughs> start true. pretty cheap because each year, yeah, just build with add, them. <laughs> if you add ten pounds to, to your kettlebell set, you you've probably kept up with their progression. If you That's start out with point. some some five, I mean, because some of the kettlebells that we had were five, ten, fifteen yeah. pounds. I think our heaviest one was like thirty five pounds. Mm-hmm. You have two of those in your hand. Now you're doing you're doing a you know a, a squat with with seventy pounds. If you're a high school kid, that honestly that's not much less than the strongest kids need except you're if you're dealing with the high school boys who may have done some right. with their high school team they're going to need a little more but they're also going to get some of that during their high school season so if you're doing what you can in the off season with your whole program mm-hmm. those kids are going to at least be getting something that they wouldn't be getting otherwise so yeah i yeah. think that, that those that, that part about um the spend the same budget you would spend on your fast suit like if you can say to each parent hey Right. If you want to be part of this dryland program, another thing teams can do is say, hey, swimming costs this much. Yeah. If you want they to opt in to dryland, you know, if you want to opt into to the dryland, five dollars more per month for dryland, mm-hmm. and use that five dollars more per month to, to to part of it to pay a coach and part of it to um to buy some equipment and yeah. and and now now you start to gather equipment over time. Do some inventories, keep track of it. Those things, which you know, co- coaches traditionally are not great at that kind of stuff. But that's where, that's where boards and, and head coaches come in is to help with that. So yeah. So Jim, you enrolled in the Surge Strength Adrenaline Certification, and you've passed now, right, and become SSDC. Is that I correct? Am. Yeah, cool. that's right. So how did, what did that add as another layer in this dryland journey specifically? What are some nuggets that you were able to, you know, go deeper in or maybe learn in another way that we haven't covered so far? Yeah, I think that um, I was, I was kind of looking through things to remember because I've been, I've been using it for about um, since September really with my daughter. And so mm-hmm. each week I program and I you can see my little clipboard of your, oh, yeah. your, uh, your spreadsheet and I've got, <laughs> You know, I've kind of got every week in here that I've done, but and then I, awesome. I've got a spreadsheet with my season plan, and and the and then I built sort of I looked at your exercise um, templates and I built a progression for for her to say, hey, we're going to go from this kind of exercise to this to this to this. Yeah, but, and then I kind of can see how she grew and learned. Um, but the the other big one that that I really pulled away from was the the workout construction for a single session mm-hmm. and the importance of the balance. And I think the other one. You know, and this is a double-edged sword. I had some knowledge coming into this about how to design exercise programming, but I, my appetite was too big for each session. And I think that's another <laughs> yeah, problem. It, <laughs> it can also be inexperienced coaches with strength training and dry land can be too, is you try to do everything at once. Yes. The periodization that you lay out and the three, the three areas, you know, strength, 
power, um, and then uh, and then the um, power endurance. I think is what you call it, or strength power and combo. Yeah, strength power. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So so those three cycles, and then the prioritization of hey, you know, spend the majority of your time with younger, newer athletes on the strength. Mm-hmm. Do a little bit of strength power, and then do a little a little bit of power because I found that hey, you can kind of overdo the power yeah. for too long because the kids kind of get like you can't amp it up too fast because they yeah. can't keep up. And if you have too many weeks of it in a row, it's like they, they're not really getting much. So we defaulted back to strength for five or six weeks. Then, then I think three weeks of strength power and then one week of power. And then we go right back. Yeah. Now my daughter's like, Hey, I, that power stuff's fun. I want to, I know. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but you want them, you want them wanting more. That's good. Right. That's good. So I'm going to turn that off and we're going to go back to strength. And then, and then you get the sore legs for a few days and all those things. And, and, so, oh man, I do need to get stronger. But you see them add that, you know, two pounds, five pounds, mm-hmm. ten pounds, and you look back over a few months, you're like, wow, they, you know, they're they're squatting thirty five pounds instead of zero right now. That's that's a pro- that's progress. And um, so for me, that was the big one is workout construction, and then and then the balance, the ratio of push to pull. Mm-hmm. That two to one of pull to push was really important for me because I hadn't in that journey that I'd done prior to surge strength programming, really figured out how to balance those things and committed to finding the tools mm. to allow the team. And now my, my individual athlete, my daughter to, yeah. to, to have opportunities at pulling. I hadn't created those tools. Um, so it's I hard. had uh, it takes effort. I've, yeah. I've had um, pull up rings for years that I haven't mm-hmm. hung. So I hung those, we're using those more um, for, for, for you know, dead hangs. Yeah. Um, um, horizontal pull-ups, those things to help her get to where she can do consistent pull-ups. Um, had I not really followed this program, I might not have added that stuff in cause, partly because I would have been a little afraid of the pulling right. shoulder, but you got to teach that, right? You got to get yep. them to, to engage and, and get that shoulder back and down and in. Um, so that, I think those two, those two things from, from a, what do I do different now with um, inside of a day is, you know, really balance the pull and the push. And then really find ways to pull that I didn't before, and then add in um, the resistance into the the session itself, which is you know much more prevalent now than I'd ever had before. Um, and then I think that the other one for me in my swimming journey was finding ways to add resistance to the pool. Mm. Um, and I think that that translates to hey, if they're getting stronger out of the water and you're forcing them to be stronger in the water with good form. Then when you take all that away and you get them a little bit of rest, they're really going to move pretty quick. So um, that was yeah. so. I, I don't know if you're going to ask about any of the success stories, but I think <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jim. I mean, I, I envision you a pretty organized guy, especially military background. But it sounded like the templates and the checklists that we gave you in the certification really helped for they're you huge. to lay out the season. They were huge, yeah. And then go down to the session. And then it almost allows you headspace to then think about these other things, right? The right. ratios or progressions. Right. And and you can almost get into more of the details in coaching it because you're not worrying about, all right, how do I put this together somehow? Yeah, I think the other, so for, you know, as I said several times, this is, this is something I do in addition to a full-time career in the Army um, as a fairly senior leader now in the Army. So, so my free time is limited. And it has to be effective. And I want my free time that I do with coaching to be focused on the content of coaching, not the organization of getting ready to be thinking about what I'm going to put in the workout. Yeah. So the, the process of learning surge strength was a huge value of 
use of my time because I, I learned a system and an approach that had flexibility, taught you why the system is built the way it is. And then that, that, that system had tools, the, the season plan, um, the weekly plan and the, and the um, session plans. Mm -hmm. From that, I really could just focus on, hey, wh what did I learn in search strength? What do I want to accomplish? All right, now put it into the session. Mm -hmm. And then compare to last week. Yeah. Well, really, I would look back at the, I'd look at the season plan. I'd look at the, the last week, what we were doing. And then I'd look at where I need to be this week. Yep. And I'd either add and adjust for the current phase or I'd start the new phase. When, when you start a new phase, you got to put a little more time in. You got to, you got to spend, you know, what would normally take you maybe, you know, 30 minutes to an hour to prepare for a week of dry land, you know, might take you two hours as you're looking back and say, what am I changing in this phase that I, that I did different? that I didn't do in the last phase, um, especially the first time through, there's a lot mm -hmm. more time um, as you're getting into strength, strength, uh, strength, power and power. But those templates, and, and as you said, I, I do consider myself fairly organized. I've done some triathlon coaching and personal training over the years. And I built all my own spreadsheets for that. And I was a much younger leader in the army with, with lower <laughs> time commitments outside of my daily duties of, of being in the field and being dirty and doing, you know, prep for combat stuff. Now I'm like, I'm an office guy and I have all this yeah. email and all this stuff that keeps me busy, man, when I get an hour, I want it to be effective and getting ready for, for coaching. Uh, so th those tools really helped me a lot to, to focus in, structure it and get it into a package that I could now focus on my athletes versus what system am I going to use? Now I'm going to organize myself. So. Yeah. No, I know we're going a little over on time, Jim, but I was hoping if we can end up with you saying why other coaches should enroll to become surge strength dry land certified. And then if we can end with a success story that you have seen because of dry land too, because that's all what it's about, right? We're not making these kids Olympic weightlifters. The whole point of this is so that we can see results and help them see results in the water. Yeah. I think the, the, my number one um, pitch to other coaches uh, would be um, even if you have a strong background in strength training or if you do not, Surge strength gives you an organized approach um, that that's based in um, some real strong foundations, and then it shows you how to do it. It tells you the why, and then and then you can put it together and you can implement it pretty quick. After you get the training done, you can start implementing right away. Um, and it, so so that would be my my pitch to them is it it gives you tools uh, founded in in the theory, but in practical application yeah. uh, that then works. And you can see those results pretty quick. Uh, and it gives you confidence that you're following something that makes sense and you're not just winging it. Because um, I think even with background in exercise science, you can feel like you're winging it sometimes um, in, in the dry land side of things. And you know, if you're in that organization that's pressuring you about dry land, this is something you can fall back on and say, hey, um, you know, this is why I'm doing these things and this is mm -hmm. what we're going to do. And let me show you the success that other people have had with this program. So, and then um, success story. So, so um, our team, as I said, we got better and better at sort of the starts and turns and the, and the kickouts. And we're known for kicking out further than others, having generally faster starts as a group. Um, so our boys, 13-14 um, relay at the 2020 LSC champs, border swimming champs, um, broke, broke a, I think it was a 10 or 15-year-old 200 freestyle relay <laughs> record. Um, and, and those boys were not, um, some of the other teams, I, I, I was, I was actually traveling for the military that weekend and I wasn't there. So I missed it. And I was really disappointed that I missed it. 
but I was happy for the kids. But some of the other teams apparently were just floored that our team did that because we're not, like I said, we're not the best team. Mm-hmm. But our kids, what did they do different? We were faster off the starts. Hmm. We were longer off the off the kickout, longer and faster, not just further, but we were getting there quicker. And then we were quicker off that turn. And, and all of those boys dropped, you know, one to two seconds in an 18-month period in a 53 you know, at the age of 13 and 14, which um, it's, it's pretty good, pretty good time drops. You see that in, in other kids at other places, but um, we didn't, they didn't train more per week than they ever mm-hmm. had. They didn't do more volume. We didn't have like this massive weightlifting program. We just added a few of these components that, that I then formalized more through surge strength, but it was the same components that we've been talking about, about all day is bracing, keeping the body tight, exploding off the block. Mm-hmm. and then carrying that power into the water um that was that was huge for us and those boys you know those boys this year those four boys have all gone on to texas state meet in the in the uh in the this revamped texas swimming season they're going to the state meets um this year i think three out of the four of them are i'm not all in the 53 but in all their events and, and the head coach called me last night and said hey i think a lot of the things that we implemented together over the last two years are paying off and um that's awesome. The kids are still doing those things, paying attention to the starts, the turns, the kickouts. They're staying strong, those things. So I think that's that's the success story of the program is with just a little bit of addition of these kind of principles, you can make a big difference in a lot of swimmers' performance and then in team philosophy and team approach mm-hmm. to driving. So. That's awesome. Jim, this has been great. I appreciate your time so much and just coming on and talking dryland. We're definitely going to have to have you back on in a, a year or so whenever you're back in full-time uh, coaching and, yeah, and get I'm some more stories and, and, and hear how your daughter's progressing with the dryland as well. Okay, great. Thank you. Open enrollment to become Surge Strength Dryland Certified is coming soon. Learn more about becoming SSDC at surgestrength.com slash certification. Open enrollment will be for a limited time only. So join the SSDC waitlist and don't miss this chance to gain more knowledge about Dryland. When you become SSDC, you'll be able to save yourself time and frustration while getting better results with your Dryland training. Get ready for open enrollment to become SSDC today.